This is Ibarian X, and welcome to another episode of The Candor Frame. One of the things that I really love about photography is the opportunity it provides me to not only make photographs that reveal my world to others, but that allow me to catch glimpses of people and cultures and places that I'll never have the opportunity to explore for myself. And that's one of the underlying powerful things about photography that often gets lost. It's easy to get preoccupied with what the latest piece of kit is going to be released soon or or some technique using Photoshop or, or something along those lines. And the power of photography lies in its ability in a single photograph to reveal to each other what our lives are like, how we see the world differently. And it's one of the things that I love most about photography, and it always impresses me when I have an opportunity to talk to someone who really gets that. And today's guest, Colby Brown, is one of those photographers. He's a travel photographer, but he's also a humanitarian, and he uses the camera to not only make beautiful photographs of some incredible landscapes, but he also uses his cameras to serve the lives of other people. And he encourages you to do that yourselves. So regardless of where you are in the world or your skills as a photographer, he impresses on each of us that we have something to bring to the table as photographers and as artists. And I hope that this conversation really helps to inspire you to think more beyond what your next piece of camera equipment is going to be in 2013 and to think out how you can contribute to the greater community of photographers and people not only in your community, but around the world. So I hope you enjoy our conversation with Colby Brown. This episode of The Candid Frame is sponsored by Adobe Lightroom 4. Perfect your photography from shoot to finish with Adobe Photoshop Lightroom 4 software. 2013 is the harbinger of a lot of good things, a lot of new beginnings, especially when it comes to your photography. And if you haven't had the chance of discovering how Lightroom 4 can make all the difference in your photography right now is the perfect opportunity to do so. You can download the full version of Lightroom 4. There's a link on the website to do just that. And you can discover how you can better organize your images, how you can bring out the quality of those digital files and share them either online or in a book form. 2013 should be the year that you take your photography to the next level and Adobe Lightroom 4 will take you there. Try it out today and discover how Adobe Lightroom 4 can make all the difference in your photography. Welcome, Kobe, to the uh, Candid Frame. I'm, I'm real pleased that we finally got our, our stars aligned so we can have the chance to sit down and talk. It's, it certainly was stars aligned. I mean, we've been trying to do this for, uh, for a few months now. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very stoked to be here and uh, happy to be on the show. You, you just got back from uh, Libya, uh, I think you were telling me. Oh, not Libya, uh, but... Uh, Jordan. 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 Jordan, close. All, all of it's so close out there. Um, yeah, I was actually just out there uh, teaching a photo workshop with a good friend of mine, Ken Kamineski, uh, a Canadian travel photographer. And um, we, had a, we had a blast out there. Jordan's such an amazing country. Um, you know, it's unfortunately one of those places that gets a little bit of a negative stigma because of its location uh, so close to Iraq and Syria and Palestine. But mm -hmm. uh, it's incredibly safe and just the... Um, the Islamic culture out there, the Bedouin kind of um, uh, tribal uh, tribal culture is, is so um, I don't know, it's so inspiring uh, to be out there as a photographer. It's, it's a very beautiful culture, a very beautiful place to work in. Well, you're you're a travel photographer, so you have the opportunity to you know, travel throughout the world. And I'm wondering what, what's the attraction for you? Because I think a lot of people you know think of this sort of ideal in terms of the travel photographer getting to visit all these exotic places and take beautiful pictures. But oftentimes, the people who really love doing it have an attraction to traveling that has nothing to do with making photographs. So, what what is that for you? That's uh, that's actually fairly spot on, coincidentally. Um, you know, I, I actually originally got into photography not because of my love of the art of photography. That actually came later. Um, I got into photography initially because of my love of travel. Uh, when I was 17, I was able to take a kind of Habitat for Humanity type of trip 
that allowed me, that really kind of opened my mind. And it was one of those trips where I was 17 at the time, and I, uh, I, I didn't really enjoy the trip at the time, like when I was there, because we were working in the dead of summer, and we are laying concrete and doing all this hard labor, um, uh, you know, helping out local communities. But in retrospect, even just a few weeks after I got back, you know, looking back and reflecting, it was a life-changing moment for me and really gave me the travel bug. And I was surprised in in that reflection of how much I enjoyed being outside of my comfort zone and how much I enjoyed seeing kind of a contrasting way of, of living. Um, and so for me, you know, travel, being a travel photographer um, really comes down to that love of contrast, um, which is certainly, uh, you know, pun intended, uh, obviously, because it's a, a photography term, but just there's so many amazing, unique individuals and cultures out there in our world. And there's so many things that, that separate us as a human species, but at the same time, experiencing these different locations, experiencing these different cultures, experiencing these different individuals, um, as a professional, I'm, I'm able to see that we actually have more, more things in common, um, than not. And, and that's kind of a part of the inspiration that, that, continues to push me forward, continues to want me to to push the boundaries of, of where I feel comfortable working and what I'm doing. And I certainly have a family, so, you know, safety is certainly a, a cause for concern, um, at least in a few locations. But in general, you know, I'm looking for those real experiences. I'm looking to, to see how other people are finding their own happiness. Um, you know, I, I spent a lot of time when I first started working as a photographer in Southeast Asia. So a lot of that Eastern philosophy, uh, uh, Buddhism and Zen and Taoism have really stuck with me for a long time. And that kind of interconnectivity um, is a very uh, attractive ideal um, and, and kind of belief system, so to speak. And it kind of permeates through, I think, a lot of what I do both as an individual and what I do as a photographer. Do, do you find that getting that perspective about you know having the opportunity to go out there and see how other cultures live, not just, you know, in terms of how they survive day to day, but how they, you know, ex- you know, experience and deal with challenges and difficulties sort of helps you sort of elude the trappings of society, of the societies here where, you know, you're trying to keep up with the Joneses, where, you know, always trying to get uh, that next job that's going to give you that much more money. Do you find that that is, is part of the attraction for you, that, that you're sort of able to sort of elude that to some extent? I, I, th- I think so. I mean, you know, for me, when I first started out doing this and, and went to Southeast Asia and went to these other countries, um, I, I was single and I was, I was more nomadic. So I'd buy a one-way ticket and just go explore. And in those early years, I'd find myself coming back to the United States after, um, after you know, being gone for six or seven months. And I'd really feel like I was a foreigner in my own country. Um, and... And even in that, you know, kind of feeling that that awkward feeling, I, I still found I found comfort. And you know, as things have have continued to progress in my career, and I've continued to work and do bigger and bigger projects, and, and work in more and more, uh, you know, amazing and unique places around the world, I've found that that you know, I, I've the perspective that it gives me has been both a blessing and a curse. And, and by that, I mean that I think as human beings, we're creatures of our environment. Um, you know, my environment, my home outside of my family here in Colorado is really when I'm on the road, when I'm out of, you know, out of my comfort zone and I'm, you know, working in these uh, undeveloped countries and, uh, you know, sleeping in places that people can't even fathom that individuals have to sleep in and doing homestays and all sorts of things so that I can get a true feel for our culture or family or an individual. Um, and then coming back and seeing the stuff that we deal with here and, you know, as you're talking about kind of keeping up with the Joneses and all the stuff we have with kind of TV and commercialism and, and the kind of things that to me and, and the curse side of things um, is where I, I've kind of developed this kind of empathy and apathy where I've become very empathetic towards a lot of these um, really important issues that I think that we as a species are kind of have neglected over the years, whether we're talking about, you know, hunger, nutrition, um, malnutrition, uh, clean drinking water is such a huge, huge issue where water is going to become the new gold in the next couple of years if it isn't already. Um, to when I come back here to the States and I, you know, listen to our political rhetoric and I listen to kind of the issues we have with our, you know, maybe it's healthcare or whatever it is. 
I just think, you know, how, how fortunate we are to have these problems. You know, it's, it's that kind of cliche saying that uh, has become a little bit more popular in the last few years where it's, you know, first world problems. You know, someone mm. says something, it's kind of a response. Um, and so I kind of have to catch myself a few times because not everyone is as fortunate as I am to have these experiences to see how the vast majority of people on this planet actually do live, you know, where we're talking about, you know, 75% of the population of this planet lives in less than ideal situ- uh, um, less than ideal situation. Um, not everyone knows that. Not everyone has had these experiences, and so I have to sometimes catch myself, um, you know, the, the struggle to not make judgment calls on other individuals when I come back here to the States um, has been a learning curve over the years and something that I, I constantly deal with. Yeah. When I face challenges and difficulties like that, and my friends ask me about it, I go, I'm having problems, but there's champagne problems. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Exactly. So I always try to remember to keep a perspective about that stuff, because I think it's it's really easy to lose. Yeah. Um, so when you started picking up the camera, um, what... What difference did that make in terms of your experience? I know that you know you started shooting primarily as an amateur and then you eventually became a professional, but what did you feel that the camera gave you beyond just simply documenting your travels? It's really interesting because when I first started out, quite quite quickly I realized that um, you know there, there were certain threads that I really found interesting uh, interesting in my work and whether that was both the mixture between how I was shooting the type of stuff I like to shoot and then how I was post-processing and what I came to realize down the road as I became more mature as an artist was that that thing that I was really drawn to was kind of my own experience um, you know my own version of what I was seeing um, a piece of myself um, uh, to, to maybe make a little bit more of a, a direct correlation um, was being imprinted in my work and that was becoming the common thread that I was seeing throughout the images that I was much more drawn to emotionally um, uh, and much more compelled to to have ties to um, and so photography when I picked up the camera it was that that fact that I was able to express myself mm-hmm. in these experiences that I was capturing from a third person perspective um, that I, I think was one of the most prolific aspects or one of the pro, pro, most prolific uh, realizations as a, a early photographer. I mean, as I, I mentioned, I, I mean, I, I never took a proper photography course in my life aside maybe seventh grade. I think I actually took a black and white photography course, but I was a little bit more interested in, in girls at football at the time. So I never had this kind of the, 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 um, the collegiate experience or, or the, the kind of, I don't want to say necessarily old school in a negative connotation, but kind of going through the, the process of being a photographer. I literally jumped into it head first, um, very, uh, having, I was very naive at the time that I simply wanted to travel and why not be a photographer because, you know, friends and family like my, my images. Um, uh, and so because I've had that experience where I just jumped into it, I didn't have any connotations of what was going on and I just kind of started experiencing it very organically in my learning curve um, uh, to figuring out who I was an artist and, and how to actually take images um, that I, I was able to have that more unique um, experience in, in developing and understanding this kind of common thread, this imprinting of, of who I was um, uh, in my images. And I always like to have the, the analogy that, you know, you, um, when you're taking an image of, of a scene or a situation, whether it's landscape travel or, or regardless of whatnot, that you see a reflection of yourself in the world and you also see a reflection of the world in yourself. And um, that's kind of always stuck with me since the beginning. Yeah. It, it strikes me that you're one of those photographers for whom the experience of travel is just that. It's, you're more into the experience than you may, may necessarily be the photographs themselves. Right. Um, I was I was working at tech support in Nikon. I remember this guy who called and his camera failed uh, during his vacation. And he was yelling at me, saying, "You know, you ruined my vacation." <laughs> you know, and it just, it just, it just struck. And I, I knew he was upset just because, you know, he obviously, you know, wanted the camera to work and it hadn't. But it always struck me that 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 many people, when they go on vacation, particularly when they're photographers, see their travels in terms of the locales that they go to, they the people they meet as fodder for their photography, yep. and and completely miss out on on the experience of actually being there. Yep. So is it 
just your nature that you're able to sort of tap into that? Is that something that you came to sort of discover and learn as you traveled around? Well, I think it was I think it was a mixture of a little bit of all of the above. I mean, again, because I, I didn't have any formal training and I just got into photography because I like travel, I, I, I'm coming from a background where it's like, hey, I just loved going. I love my experience in Costa Rica and I wanted more. And then all of a sudden I went to Australia and I wanted more. I went to New Zealand or Fiji or Africa or these other places and I wanted to see more. I wanted to experience more. Um, you know, I didn't come into it with the, the notion that, hey, I want to come and get these epic photos. And, and because from the very beginning, I was a traveler first and a photographer second, I think I've never necessarily had to deal with, um, with that issue. Um, but I think you're spot on. I think a lot of people kind of have that mindset. Um, I, always, I always equate it back to, um, you know, it's about the journey, not the end result. Um, you know, being so much heavily into photo education these days, because I, I teach so many workshops and seminars around the world, I meet a lot of really interesting people, and I have a lot of variety of different types of students, and there certainly is a percentage of individuals that take these classes with me um, that, you know, go to these beautiful locations, they go there with the mindset of a photograph, and they don't go there with the mindset of, of the actual experience of being there. Um, something that I've learned over time to somewhat overcome something similar, which is more so just taking things for granted because of my experiences. I mean, I'm only 30 years old. I've worked all over the world. I've, I've seen some of the most amazing places this planet has to offer and continue to do so for the foreseeable future um, is that, you know, I can sit, be sitting here in Denver, Colorado and see a sunset and maybe there's not a ton of epic clouds in the sky. Um, so I'll just be like, eh, whatever. It's not that big a deal. But the reality is, is that, you know, in our lifetime, we only see so many sunsets. And, and so everything is everything is special. It just depends on the perspective that you look at it with. Mm-hmm. Um, too many people, I think, have that mindset where it's it's uh, they're, they're focusing on on kind of this one existential or external um, source of happiness. You know, I want that shot You, you know, if I don't have my camera, I'm not going to have a good, uh, good vacation. Um, personally, I've actually found that as I've developed more and more as a photographer, as my, my photography companies has con- uh, continued to become more and more um, successful, that I found myself actually putting my camera down more and more when I'm actually out there in the world. I'll go out there and maybe it's, maybe it is a beautiful sunset, but maybe I've shot seven in a row and I want this one just for myself. I just want to be there for the experience. Um, it was more of a realization that I was seeing too much of the world through a viewfinder and not so much as, um, as an actual individual, not so much just for the actual experience. So mm-hmm. that in itself has helped me kind of come back to reality and get more perspective when it comes to not taking things for granted and, and coming back to the experience that I was originally there for. So when you made the choice to try and make a go of it as a, as a professional photographer, um, how did that start changing the way you saw your travel and, and the way you, you saw what you were doing with, with, with the camera? Uh, what what did you have to start reconsidering now that the fact that you were saying okay I'm gonna I'm gonna try to make my living from this? <laughs> well, I, th- I mean, when I first started out, I was doing um, you know everything was freelance, and so it was kind of done on my own dime. And and then my my challenge was to kind of sell the story, sell the images afterwards. And that worked in the beginning, you know, in the sense of just kind of building up a portfolio, making a little bit to get by. But once you start getting more contract work, um, you know, things change. And, and you now all of a sudden have have someone that you're somewhat reporting to, whether it's an, an editor or an organization or an entity or, um, you know, even collaborative projects where you're you're not just kind of out there on your own doing it for fun. It's, it's uh, you know, it's a business. Um, I, I, I don't think my, my photography work necessarily changed. I think it was... I think it was a good experience at the time because it was again part of this organic evolution of of who I was as an artist as well as as being an entrepreneur, which was the first time I'd actually done that. I mean, I studied business in school and university, but um, real world experience is always far more um, far more potent, far more uh, real, uh, no pun intended, um, than anything that you can get out of a book. And so, learning the kind of learning the ins and outs of of doing it for a living of actually you know creating something that is sustainable i think was a very challenging um aspect of of being a new photographer and again especially because i jumped into it being like hey i'm just gonna do this i'm having a you know i had somewhat of a quarter life crisis because i just got out of university i was like i just want to travel and and i'm gonna be a photographer and i'm gonna make it work um i made a lot of mistakes in those beginning years and probably had a much steeper climb than I, i necessarily should have in the sense of being able to have um 
uh, financial um, uh, solitude, so to speak, uh, from photography alone. Um, from those first, you know, maybe three or four years. So, well, let's um, talk about those those early years because you mentioned, you know, being a freelancer, you go out there on your own, on your own dime, producing these images, and you come back, you have them, and now you have to pitch them to a publication or, right. or, or a book. So what were some of the important things that you felt like you really needed to learn quickly in order to make those images that you had made during those trips viable commodities to these publishers? Well, I think it was, I think two, two of the biggest lessons I felt I learned were on, on two sides of the spectrum. One is the photography side and one was the business side. Um, when it comes to the photography side of things, it was, the, I think the challenge was that I was so new to photography. I was so new to being a creative individual because I actually played sports my entire life. Um, my parents were very supportive, but that was what I did. Um, so it wasn't until I actually jumped into photography um, with uh, uh, you know uh, a cap on, not realizing what I was doing, that I realized that I was creative. So taking that creativity, this newfound creativity that was still evolving, that was still kind of um, uh, growing, and to apply that creativity to visit locations that, um, as a new traveler, were maybe a little bit more easily accessible uh, and well-traveled and therefore well-documented and still come away with something unique, come away with a unique angle, not necessarily just for for an image, but a series of images and maybe a a story and a narrative to go along with it. I did a lot of writing when I was first starting out as well. I'm a huge fan of writing. Um, And having the words correlate with my images, um, I, I think, helped me in the initial stages because at that point, um, in the photo industry, there is it wasn't like it was now where kind of most publications are looking for that one-stop shop. They want someone that can shoot film, uh, that can also, uh, cinematography, that can also do photos, that can also write because, you know, budgeting uh, budgets have been slashed across the board, especially when we're talking about periodicals. Um, and so back then it was, it was uh, you know, having, working on all those at once and having confidence, uh, whether in, in the beginning it was more arrogance or confidence, I'm, I'm not too sure. Um, but it ended up playing out so that I was able to come away with some unique images, with some unique narratives um, that allowed me to, to pitch ideas that ended up working out, um, working out well. Um, you know, being able to write for a lot of online travel publications right at the time when those were first becoming really, really popular um, really helped me, A, make a little bit of, of money for the images that I was doing, but also uh, to continue to build my confidence in the fact that I, I, I might actually be able to pull this off. Um, when it comes to the business side of things, I think the biggest lesson uh, that I learned was rejection. And mm. um, I think a lot of artists take that rejection a little bit too personally. Um, you know, when you're, as, as you know, you know, when you reach out to a publication uh, or you have an idea for a publication, um, you know, more times than not, you're probably going to get rejected. Um, especially if you're starting off as a photographer and just, just, you know, you don't have a name for yourself just yet. Um, learning to not take that personally um, because I was putting so much effort into my photography. I was trying, you know, my photography was very personal to me in the beginning stages and, and it still is to this day. Uh, I've just developed a little bit thicker skin so that I, I understand when I pitch an idea and someone doesn't take it, it's not that um, my work isn't good enough or um, uh, that, uh, you know, who I was as an individual they didn't like. It was maybe it wasn't the right time or there could be a, a million different reasons, but regardless, I need to kind of forge, forge ahead and and continue to, to push harder, make it better, and evolve, so to speak. Yeah. So how how, how did you get involved in, in doing work for NGOs? Because I know that's a, a big part of what you do. It was uh, it was kind of a natural progression, actually. I mean, as I was I was traveling in those beginning years, I really I really felt compelled um, to to do something, just because I, I felt so fortunate. I mean, I. You know, at the time I was, you know, 24 years old, and I'd saved up enough money after college and, and working for a few months, and, and probably the only real job I've ever had in my life at a hospital. Um, and so I'm, I'm visiting these countries and uh, these these developing countries, and I'm seeing these individuals that are are living in in conditions that, at least according to Western standards, are appalling. Um, and uh, I just I wanted to give back. I wanted to do something. So. Um, when I first started doing it, it was really just kind of reaching out to local communities that I was working in. Maybe I was there for a few days, so I'd try to volunteer at a local orphanage or I'd, I'd take photos or write a story about whatever I was kind of coming across. 
and then as my as my career continued to progress and I was able to my brand was getting bigger and bigger I was able to begin to to start thinking about more creative ways in order to, to do more in order to help more um, in order to break those boundaries down between kind of being a tourist and being a traveler and, and not seeing it's it's a problem that I see too too often in other people that are traveling um, throughout different places in the world where they're traveling as a tourist, they're traveling always looking for their creature comforts that they have back home and not kind of looking for that real experience of what it's actually like to be in Namibia or what it's like to be in Egypt or Cambodia or Laos or wherever they're at. Um, they're instead always trying to, to make these countries um, more like their own. Um, and, and that always kind of bugged me a little bit. And, and so you mix that kind of wanting to have more of a real experience, wanting to really make a difference. Um, it, it, it was, there, there were so many organizations out there that needed help. Um, and I was so fluid in those first beginning years because I was single nomadic that it was, uh, it was pretty easy actually. Yeah. Um, well, pretty- you make an excellent point about the idea of, you know, looking for your sort of creature comforts. But I think a, a big part of that is the fact that you feel so vulnerable when you're in a completely different environment. So it seems like just simply human to want to, you know, find those things that give you a sense of that, of being safe. You know, it's true. It's true. I I think it's a sliding scale though. I mean, I think that I, I, you know, some people do it more so than not. So, you know, I, I, you know, if if you want to look at it as a negative or a positive, I'll leave that subjectively to, to your own opinion. But, you know, I can sit there and more times than not pick out, another American um, uh, that's traveling out there or a European, someone that's specifically from Germany or Israel or Australia, specifically by how they're acting, not necessarily just by the tone of their voice or the language they're speaking with. And, you know, there's a lot of negative connotation out there towards uh, people from from the U.S., whether it's it's accurate or not, where they're they're more verbose, they're more demanding. They want things to be more um, uh, they're, they're not understanding of cultural differences and things like that. And I think that's more of what I'm trying to what I was trying to allude to is that, mm-hmm. you know, people certainly there, there's I'm not, I'm not saying that everyone should be like myself where I feel comfortable when I'm uncomfortable, so to speak. But I think that there is. There's varying levels of where that's acceptable to where you're not you're not being a detriment to being to traveling to a country, and instead you're there's nothing wrong with you know wanting to have, to feel safe, wanting to have some creature comforts, but at the same time being respectful of these different countries. And, and when it comes to the NGO stuff uh, um, or or just humanitarian um, ethics, um, to really look at other individuals in these countries as actual people. I mean, that's, that, that, that's one of the biggest things that I think a lot of people don't think about is that, you know, we travel to these countries. Um, I just got back again from Jordan. So I'm, I'm traveling throughout the, uh, Arabian desert and we come across a Bedouin camp and as a photographer, yes, I want to document these beautiful people. You have, um, uh, the, the women are in their, their, their Sharia, um, dress and, and everyone has their beautiful garbs on. And, um, you know, if I was sitting there in my home and a stranger walked into my house, um, you know, would I want a camera stuck in my face and be, you know, be documented or, or would I want to have a conversation and be respected first and then just kind of see where things go. And it's that type of mentality that I think makes the difference between, um, uh, if you want to talk about just photographers, you know, uh, a true professional travel photographer to someone that's out there that's just taking snapshots and just there for, for the images, not there for the experience and, and for the getting to know these different cultures. And now I'd like to take the time to thank our other sponsor, Squarespace. If you've been wanting to create a website to showcase your work, but have been intimidated about coding or the complexities of creating and maintaining a website, then Squarespace has the answer for you because Squarespace has this great product, Squarespace 6. It's a do-it-yourself website builder that helps you to make a website or blog in just a few minutes. Squarespace handles all the hosting, gives you a free domain name, and has 24-hour customer support. Everything on the platform is drag and drop, so it's incredibly easy to use. For example, you can drag pictures straight from your desktop and create custom layouts with multiple columns and text that wraps perfectly around your images and videos. The templates are clean and crisp. It puts the focus where it should be on your photography. Additionally, you can switch to a different template at any time. One more thing that's really special about Squarespace is that your images will look great on any device because the website you create 
will scale automatically to fit perfectly on an iPad, an iPhone, a computer, or any other device. Import content from your blogs and push your content right back out to your social networks. Go to squarespace.com forward slash candid frame to start a free trial. No credit card is required. When you're ready to purchase, click enter an offer code below the pricing at checkout and enter the offer code CANDIDFRAME1 to get a 10% discount. That's squarespace.com forward slash candid frame. Offer code CANDIDFRAME1. One word, CANDIDFRAME1. When, you, when you're working for the NGOs, you have the opportunity to have some level of access to, to, to the people. Um, because you're doing it under the auspices of, of whatever work that they're trying, trying to do. So um, that's, I would assume that that's greatly helpful in terms of being able to initiate that dialogue. Or do you find that um, that you're at a point where it doesn't matter whether you're, you know, doing work for someone else or for yourself, that you're able to just approach people and just start talking to them, even even though you may not be able to sh- speak the same language. Yeah. I think the most accurate answer is actually both. I mean, I think I think working with an NGO, you will you will have an easier time kind of getting that that um, behind closed door access. And a great example of that is Guatemala. So, um, Guatemala is one of my favorite countries in Central America. Um, incredibly beautiful landscapes, beautiful culture, but the indigenous Mayan people um, are not big fans of having their images taken, especially from Western individuals. The reason for this is that they went through a very dark civil war and there was a lot of propaganda with what the CIA was doing with the uh, Guatemalan government at the time. And the propaganda that was spread out there was that Westerners were coming in and stealing Guatemalan kids and taking them back to the U.S. And so that developed this level of fear. And so when I'm walking around the country on my own and you see these, um, these amazingly beautiful, beautiful people because they are absolutely stunning. Um, and uh, regardless if I'm trying to be candid in a market scene or if I'm actually uh, approaching them, um, they're just not big fans of having their image taken. And I have to respect that. Um, when I connected with an organization in Guatemala called Mind Connection, um, I was able then to get behind the scenes access to this uh, women's empowerment organization that was helping these individuals uh, in these individual women in this community around uh, uh, Laguna de Atalan. Um, uh, create a sustainable business model for these women so that they can provide for their uh, for their families. And so I was able to document their life and what they were doing, and that's access I wouldn't have had otherwise. Um, now, on the flip side, when I'm working in a, a country uh, or with a culture that doesn't have that stigma, um, I have no problem walking up to, to anyone having a conversation. I mean, I've... One of the fun things about working in the various countries that I have is that I, I speak a little bit of a lot of languages now. <laughs> um, I don't speak a lot of a, a lot of of, uh, of very many languages. Actually, it's typically only English and some pretty broken Spanish. Um, but I know some key phrases in a lot of different places, and and even just that simple breaking of the ice. Um, where you try to have a conversation, it shows that you're putting some effort into it. it, it again, it levels that playing ground where it makes the people that you're trying to document feel like they're human beings as well. They're not just subjects for a photograph. And I think that's where a lot of photographers kind of make that mistake where they don't feel comfortable, understandably, because um, it's, it's kind of a fear of a lot of photographers to document other people. But in the same time, they still want the photo. And, uh, you know, as the... The, what is I always say the, the the saying wrong? It's you can't have your cake and eat it too, or you can't eat your cake and have it too. Whatever whatever the one that the right way it is, um, it doesn't work that way. So you know my recommendation is always try to meet people on the same playing field, um, have a conversation with these individuals because I found that my images of the people, um, my most prolific humanitarian images, uh, cultural portraits have always come after a conversation. And generally, a lot of the time, I'll approach people to talk with them without even having my camera at hand. Maybe it's in my bag, or maybe if, it, if I do have it out, it's kind of uh, on a sling on my side. I'm not even kind of up. I just want to have a conversation. I want to get to know someone. Once they feel comfortable, then I'll ask if I can take their photo and go from there. If not, I had a great conversation uh, or attempted to have a great conversation with an individual, and I'll go about my day. Um, yeah. But it, it makes a difference. You did a wonderful presentation uh, at Photoshop World about thinking of the camera as a means of doing service for others. Was there a particular job that you did that really sort of crystallize that for you? Because you've done a variety of different work for different organizations, but was there one that sort of made you really understand 
what you were providing them beyond just physical photographs? Yeah, I, 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 the one that always comes to mind is actually one that was just from a few years ago, so it was fairly recent, and it was actually my work in Haiti. You know, after the earthquake in 2010, uh, there, there was so there's such a proliferation of, of NGOs um, entering the country, and, and actually, for a lot of people, don't realize that Haiti actually is. I think it's the there's more NGOs per capita in Haiti than anywhere else in the world. Um, I think pre-earthquake there was something like 13,000 NGOs, and post-earthquake there was something at its height at like 18,000. It was quite ridiculous. Um, uh, ridiculous only in the sense that you had a lot of people coming into a culture that they didn't understand trying to project their own views onto things. Um, but that's probably for another conversation on, on the challenges of NGO work. Um, when it actually comes to, uh, to the, the meaningful experiences is that once I heard that the earthquake was happening, which I, coincidentally I was actually in Guatemala with my wife at the time, um, I, I started getting text messages and all these emails of, of asking if I was going to, to Haiti and I hadn't heard the news. So I was kind of confused. I was like, I'm in Guatemala. I don't know why people are asking me to go to Haiti. I, I don't get it. Once I actually was able to kind of get back to civilization um, from the trip, I realized what had happened and I really, I, I wanted to go and I wanted, I wanted to help. So me and another uh, photographer here in Colorado, uh, Ray Tolson, um, got together and, and came up with an idea to, to create a kind of um, service organization where we didn't want to come to a country like Haiti and just get in everyone's way. What we wanted to do is we wanted to come and not just provide photos for these organizations. We wanted to tell stories that weren't being told. We wanted to work with organizations that weren't getting the limelight because when it comes to NGO work, uh, when it comes to humanitarian aid in general, the attention span of the general public um, is, is nanoseconds. I mean, you know, the anytime we have a natural disaster, um, uh, you can even look as, as recent as Sandy here in the U.S. So Hurricane Sandy came through on the East Coast. Everyone was all up in arms about what was going on for a few weeks. Um, now you don't see any stories about it anymore. Uh, there's no more stories in the media. No one really is caring what's going on outside of, of uh, outside of people actually still affected, which are still drastically affected. Parts of New Jersey are still completely washed away. Um, so in that mindset, you only have so much time in order to, um, uh, to make an impact on individuals. So um, the organizations that are typically smaller are the ones that I find that A, need the help the most and B, have the most compelling stories. So when I started researching different places, different organizations we connected with, um, um, we met up with uh, Ray, uh, one of Ray's friends, uh, a woman named Melissa Basta, who actually had lived in Haiti uh, working for the Peace Corps um, back in the late 90s, early 2000s. Uh, and so she speaks Creole, which is great because uh, I don't, <laughs> and neither does Ray. Um, and ultimately, we put together this kind of itinerary of going down there for 10 days and um, meeting with these different small organizations that no one's ever heard of and um, working on telling their story. And so what we did is, is uh, we did just that. We went down there and we traveled all throughout the country and uh, we documented a great organization uh, based out of New York called HELP, the Haitian Education Leadership Program that does phenomenal, phenomenal things. Uh, we also worked with a Colorado-based organization called Trees, Water, and People uh, that work on creating a more sustainable um, uh, um, cooking system uh, that doesn't lead to more deforestation in Haiti, which is a huge issue, um, as well as working on creating infrastructure to create uh, whatever stove they ended up coming up with in Haiti, rather than having it all outsourced and shipped in. Um, and then lastly, we uh, uh, connected with a great organization called Paz Pa, which is a Canadian organization uh, that works with child education, specifically with children with special needs. And so going down there and working with these organizations and having the experiences that we had with these amazing, amazing individuals um, and, and ultimately um, not only being able to provide them with images, but also being able to come back and put together fundraisers for them to be able to connect them with other uh, large corporations for sponsorship, allowing them to, to be able to reach and do more and in turn also be able to turn around and, and um, you know, donate some of these images back to the people we were working with um, so that people that have never had photographs or that if they did have photographs of themselves or their families uh, were completely lost after the earthquake um, left a lasting impression mm. on 
on me and, and really helped me realize that I could do more. And there was uh, even more things that I could do in the humanitarian aspect when it comes to the, the, the arts of photography and cinematography and whatnot. Yep. And it kind of led me to a few future projects that I've done. Since and then. I assume that one of those was the, the giving lens. Why don't you tell us more about that? Yeah. Um, I mean, that definitely was a direct correlation to the giving lens and, and the giving lens itself. What it is, is, is it's a, um, it's a company technically actually right now. It's not a 501c3 just yet, although we are working on it. Uh, but basically what it is, is it is a, the idea is to fuse photo education and supporting for, uh, various causes around the world, uh, specifically, in, or mostly at least in developing countries. Um, so what happens is that participants come to these um, quote-unquote workshops where half the time they're learning about photography and the other half the time they're directly supporting a local cause. Uh, that could be everything from child education to clean drinking water projects to species preservation to women's rights to refugee support to all sorts of different things. Um, uh, this year alone we've worked in uh, Peru, Nicaragua, um, Cambodia, and then actually Jordan was a TGL trip as well. And next year, we're actually expanding out into doing those same trips, but also adding in Uganda, Tanzania, um, India, Thailand, um, with also starting to branch out into Burma uh, and Cuba as well. And um, and the support that we do is very different. So we take a very organic approach to how we connect with different NGOs on the ground in these countries, as well as the causes we go after. Um, where we don't come into it with a mindset where, hey, this is exactly what we're going to do. We actually approach these organizations that we've vetted and done a ton of research on to make sure that there's something that we want to align with. And we'll start a conversation asking them how we can help. And sometimes it is as very simple as actually they just need more, they need more images and we like some more exposure with what they're doing. Um, sometimes it's actually helping them develop uh, programs, uh, photography programs for youth in their country like we did in Nicaragua and Peru so that these, these young individuals can use donated camera gear in order to creatively express themselves um, unlike they've ever been able to do before, um, which is uh, surprisingly um, amazing to see and just how it's very prolific experience to actually see these kids and the quality of work that they can do um given a little bit of uh, a little bit of assistance um in both photo education as well as in um uh, just having some gear that they normally couldn't afford yeah and it's always and it's always amazing to see the kind of images that they produce because they they're they're making images from their own perspective they're reacting to the things that they find important Stuff that, you know, we as, you know, people from outside of that culture and that society would never even consider making a photograph or at least making a photograph of it in that particular way. And I think it's always exciting to having seeing that perspective. I, I 100% agree with you. And, and, and I think it's when kid in kids in general, but I think specifically when uh, and talking to uh, talking about um, about this, the kids in these countries that, that have never had this experience to be able to creatively express themselves um, through the art of photography. It, it's it's mind blowing um, to say the least. Um, uh, Smug Mug was one of our sponsors um, with the giving lens and Specifically with Nicaragua, we worked with an organization called Empowerment International that focuses solely on child education. So they're a support organization for the local schools in order to keep kids that live in the barrios outside of Granada, Nicaragua, um, out of the drugs and gangs and all sorts of nasty things that happen out there and, and into um, into their schools. And so they do after-school programs and they do extracurricular pieces as well. And one of those programs has been highly successful is their photography program. Um, which they've had a few photographers here and there come and, and help out sporadically. But um, the Giving Lens was able to cut down, and we actually did, because we had so much interest in this specific trip. We actually did two workshops back-to-back this year where we had 10 individuals each time come in, and what we did is it was collaborative learning. So um, myself uh, and another instructor would kind of teach uh, the participants that came down there uh, from the U.S. and Canada and Europe and all over, and then those individuals would go and teach um, the kids that we were working with. So we'd go out to the field into a, a, mar- a food market in Nicaragua or maybe a volcano uh, just outside the city, and they'd be working hand-in-hand and just seeing seeing the different perspectives of both our participants as well as the kids um, coming back uh, is it's so, it, it's so moving. Um, and it constantly reminds me, actually, of, of kind of where we are in the photo industry in general and where we are in technology wise as a society is that I think one of the most prolific and not talked about aspects of 
this shift in the photo industry with things going to digital and where we are currently today is that more people today have the ability to creatively express themselves than ever before. Um, you know, I constantly hear other professional photographers um, complain about the fact that there's so many people taking photos today and all this stuff, and they completely sidestep the most important aspect, which is um, the fact that people can take images, that people can express themselves, that people can showcase their version, their views on life um, in, a, in a medium that they that wasn't accessible to them previously because it was um, uh, it was too expensive or they just didn't have the skill set. Now that technology is allowing both those to, to drop and become more accessible, um, we're seeing such a proliferation of, of art specifically within the photo industry that um, it, it's hard not to be not to find inspiration everywhere you look these days. Yeah, and you also have another. Problem project that you told me about that you're working with with Jeremy Coward. So why don't you tell us a little about that? Yeah. So uh, a few months ago, um, I reached out to a few different photographers as well as um, a few different companies to kind of put together an idea. And uh, the, the initial idea was um, to get a bunch of creative minds together under one roof and share, um, share as much as we could um, about um, inspiration and education um, and information about kind of the different uh, different aspects of photography and photo editing um, and travel and cultural and all sorts of fun things and um, that ended up turning into uh, a new uh, brand launch called Incivity, um, which is a it stands for insane inspiration and creativity. Um, and so there's a handful of photographers that we have involved right now and we're constantly evolving. We're actually about to do a big launch here uh, just in a few days um, on, on the 20th, the kind of a grand opening. But um, so far, it's, it's myself, Jeremy Coward, uh, Chris Ricard, amazing surf photographer out of San Luis Obispo, uh, Lucas Gilman, adventure photographer out of Denver, Colorado, um, Brian Mateusz um, with On One Software, um, Brian Rube, Sean Bagshaw, Richard Burnaby, Catherine Hall, um, uh, Dean Bradshaw, all, all sorts of individuals all coming together to share our experiences, to share our knowledge, um, and to most importantly inspire other people to kind of reach for the stars when it comes to their own creative words. Um, and so we're really excited to kind of see this begin to take off and kind of see where it takes us because I don't, I haven't really seen too many other other projects like this have so many creative minds under one roof that isn't part of like a staff team or a brand, you know, part of a, a brand that is, um, you know, like the Sandus Extreme team. Uh, these are all individuals that are here on our own card, um, just trying to kind of share our wealth of knowledge and, and to continue to push the boundaries of inspiration and, and creativity um, within the photo industry and, and those interested in this art form. Well, I'm excited to find out more about that in the, in the coming weeks. So you guys can go to incivity.com um, and, uh, and and find out more. But it's a lot of great stuff is coming out from it. Well, you're you're a family man. You have a, a son, and 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 I'm sure that your traveling has has changed as a result of that. But I'm more curious to to know if being a father has given you a new perspective in terms of how you see the world that you travel around to. I, it's actually a great question and one that I actually I, I love answering because because um, it warms my heart uh, you know we were talking about a little bit earlier about about kind of taking things for granted as a photographer or for any you know just myself or, or any real any photographer um, you know we see so many different beautiful things or we're constantly searching for beautiful things maybe that's more accurate um, you know whether it's in our own backyard or whether it's um, you know in our neighborhood in our state in a different country wherever it is and so it's easy to kind of get sucked up into that kind of um, hey I've seen a beautiful flower before hey I've seen a beautiful sunset one of the most important pieces uh, important lessons that I've learned since becoming a father um, is, is is from my son and, um, you know, I'm a very, I'm a very perceptive person. I'm a, I'm a big people watcher. I love kind of watching people interact. And so as my son has continued to grow up, he's, he's just about 15 months right, right now. Um, he's in that kind of stage of cognizant realization where thing he's beginning to figure a lot of things out and a lot of things he's experiencing for the first time. 
and so for me to sit down with him as he does something as simple as as um, you know watch me uh, uh, watch as I, I read him a book or watch him play with specific toys um, you know some of the kind of fun creative ones where it's like you know putting the squares into the square hole and the circles into the circle hole and watching him literally be figuring it out watching the, the synapses actually be forming in his brain as he's doing it because he's experiencing this for the first time really was an eye-opener for me as an artist and it really has helped me in the last last year um year and a half almost to really begin to look at my own photography slightly differently um and and to look at it with with um with new eyes I think for any artist, it's that's always a big goal is A, to constantly find inspiration and B, to constantly don't get caught up in kind of seeing life through blinders. You know, don't get caught up in always shooting the exact same thing the exact same way all the time to try new things. And so, you know, his perspective, both from his size wise and his height, which is actually quite big for a 15 year old, but, you know, just getting down to the ground to playing with him and seeing things in a different span to actually looking at um, documenting things from, from different perspectives um, has been very eye opening and, and very, very nice to see. It was, it was a nice surprise because I didn't necessarily think of that when I realized that I was going to become a father. And, and it reminds me of one of my favorite quotes of all time, which is Marcel Proust, uh, by Marcel Proust. And it's, the true voyage of discovery is not seeking new landscapes, it's in having new eyes. And, and that's something that, um, something that I hold dear to my heart, both personally and professionally. That's great. Well, my final question is I ask each guest to suggest or recommend another photographer for our listeners to discover and explore on their own. And it can be anyone, someone that you've long admired or someone you've recently discovered. So who would that one photographer be and why? Oh, if I had one photographer, that's a good, such a good question. Um, I, I think for me, it's, it's, it's kind of split between two. But, uh, Let's, we'll just pick one. Um, right now, I've I've uh, actually been doing a lot more uh, work and collaborative projects with a good friend of mine, a recent good friend of mine, um, which is a photographer named Elia Licardi. And he, uh, him and his wife recently became uh, location independent. So they, he's a travel photographer, but he, he doesn't have a home anymore. He actually travels from place to place, so he's constantly on the road. And the work that he's putting out these days is, uh, is phenomenal. I highly recommend uh, any of you searching out and finding more images and finding more information about uh, Elia Licardi. His website's um, www.blamethemonkey.com, which is actually a really interesting story. I think he talks about it on his website uh, itself. Uh, but I highly recommend you checking him out. Great. And where can people go to find out more about you and everything that you're doing? Uh, so for me, it's pretty straightforward. Um, uh, Colby Brown Photography is my website. If you search up Colby Brown on any major social networks, you'll find me. I'm, I'm pretty prolific on each of them. Um, for The Giving Lens, it's, again, pretty simple, thegivinglens.com. And then um, Incivity as well, um, which is I-N-S-I-V-I-T-Y.com. Um, please, please do reach out if you have questions. I'm, I'm always happy to, uh, to answer them and start a conversation. Well, Colby, thank you so much for appearing on the show. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. The Candid Frame is supported by donations from people just like you. You can help support the work we do here by visiting the website at thecandidframe.com and contributing using PayPal. You can also support the show by writing a review in the iTunes Music Store or by adding a link to the podcast on your website or blog. The editor for this show is Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com. Music is by Kevin McLeod, and this is Ibadian X, and this is The Candid Frame. <laughs>